All right. We're going to continue this morning uh, working our way through this class, what we're calling uh, Considering One Another, A Church in Covenant Together. And this week we're considering uh, the third segment or the third promise, thinking about how we can specifically care for one another in brotherly love. And again, you'll find on the back page, page four, the entirety of this uh, church covenant that we're talking about, that you'll find there printed out in its entirety. The reason we're doing this is obviously to help one another learn and have a little better clarity on what it means to be a church in covenant, a church uh, member, and we've been careful each week to kind of define that word covenant, essentially in its most simple form means promise, and because we are members of the new covenant in which we are saved by grace through faith according to the uh, mediary work of Christ. We are in covenant and therefore it only makes sense that we as members of this new covenant figure out how we relate to one another. So this church covenant is a sense, essentially a response and because of the new covenant in which we are made uh, one and brought in, into union with Christ. And so we're just taking our time walking through what this is. It's essentially a summary of the various one another's of Scripture that help us understand what it means to be a Christian. And by the one another's, uh, somebody give me an example of a one another within uh, the New Testament. Love one another. Love one another. That's somewhat fitting for this morning. Anybody think of another one, maybe more obscure? Encourage one another. Build one another up in love, bear with one another, forgive one another. So those are what we're talking about, the, the one another's. And so as you read through this church covenant on the back, some of the even the language will sound very familiar, um, especially as we looked at last week, essentially just uh, lifting Ephesians 4, 3 and placing it right into the covenant itself. So again, for anybody coming in just now, if you didn't grab one of these, you'll need one. So we're going to continue this morning thinking through this. Um, and we're going to consider the, the portion that's written there at the top. Uh, we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. So we're talking about love. Um, probably should come as no surprise that the emphasis here upon brotherly love would be a central focus in this particular covenant because the call to love, uh, we know it sums up so much of the Christian ethic. Uh, off the top of your head, you can probably already think of a, a number of scriptures uh, that exhort us, that compel us to relate to one another in this uh, paradigm or this dynamic of love. So here's the big idea what we need to unpack this morning. What does biblical love actually look like? What does love actually look like? And this, we're no strangers to this because we know in the culture and the day that we live in, even this word love is often hijacked and renamed and reapplied. And as Christians, we need to be humble enough to recognize that we may be guilty of that same thing. Maybe not to the same dynamic, but we often uh, misunderstand and then misapply love. Now, here's the problem, as I was thinking about it this week. Somewhere along the lines, especially within the Christian culture, we have translated love as niceness. And love 
and niceness have become synonymous. And what is niceness? Well, niceness, it's avoiding saying anything that would be uncomfortable. It is avoiding saying anything that would potentially offend another person. Niceness means that I am going to avoid ruffling any feathers. And if we take this definition of love being niceness, and we just run with it, unfortunately, what happens is we end up with a definition of love that is completely unbiblical, as it leaves off a host of other exhortations and helpful filler and definition of what love looks like. And as a result, we end up with a church that doesn't reflect a biblical church either, all because we've misunderstood love. So while it's probably a very elementary and foundational concept, like, oh, we're going to talk about love, we have such a need to be clear on it just because of this main problem. And perhaps you've seen this even kind of in your own life, like kind of holding back, like, "Eh, I don't want to say that. It's probably just not going to be received. Well, let's just love them through this. That assumption can be so costly and actually the most unloving thing we could ever assume to do. So, for all of those reasons, we need to certainly be clear and say, look, yes, we understand love is not rude. Love is not puffed up. Love is most certainly patient. But that doesn't come at the expense of some of these other exhortations that are given to us in Scripture. And so as we walk together as members of Christ's body, we understand We have a responsibility to one another. And here's what we really want to be emphasizing this morning. The spiritual well-being of the members of a church, or let's make it more personal, the spiritual well-being of the membership of Veritas Church is the responsibility, responsibility of the elders, but not their responsibility alone. We're going to kind of walk through that in this portion of the covenant and understand better, hopefully, what does it mean to care for for one another as we walk together in brotherly love. And so I've kind of organized this in three couplets. It's this, not this. And sometimes that's helpful when we're trying to get our hands on something, say it's this, not this. It's this, not this. It's this, not this. And so the first descriptive, when we talk about brotherly love, this sort of care, I'm saying, is normative not exceptional, as becomes the members of a Christian church. That's the first clause in what the covenant states. We'll walk together in brotherly love, as becomes the members of a Christian church. And by that, it means what we're going to say here and what we're promising to one another is normative, not exceptional. So, the sort of brotherly love that the Bible calls us to, that the covenant summarizes, is in line with and what you would expect to see within a Christian church. Meaning, everything that we're going to be talking about, describing and calling one another to, it should be normative, not exceptional. What do I mean? Exceptional would be the care that is above and beyond. Like you go to a restaurant and I ask you, how was it? The service was exceptional. Meaning, it's not what I would have expected. It's not just your run-of-the-mill restaurant. It is above and beyond. You were in the hospital. The nurses attended to you. 
And they asked, how was your care there? It was exceptional. I would understand that to mean it was above and beyond what you would expect. It wasn't just the normative. It was, you don't get this anywhere. This is the exception to the rule. The sort of love and concern within a church that is so unique, so unheard of, so irregular, that you are forced to admit this isn't normal. That's not what we're talking about. The very definitions of what we're talking about are the norm, not the exception. So to say that brotherly love and the sort of love we're talking about becomes the members of a Christian church is to say this very definition of love is just simply in line with what it means to be a Christian church. It's reflective of what we would expect Christians to express. Don't read these definitions and think like, whoa, that's an exceptional church. That is like super spiritual. No, the covenant's just saying, this is just basic love. This is, <laughs> this is the normative pattern, expectation of what it means to be a Christian church. And on your handout, the summary statement that's there says, the standard of love we're talking about is the plain teaching of Scripture that outlines what we're called to as brothers and sisters in Christ why we're saying this sort of care is normative, not exceptional. Let's put it this way. Imagine you're one of the apostles, and you are somehow teleported into Veritas Church. And upon getting to know the membership here and watching how they care for one another, you notice that they exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. That's your summary of how, how they live. And in seeing this, you would say, well, that's exactly what I would expect a Christian church to be doing. That's what the, the covenant's getting at here. Before we say any definition of love, we're saying we're doing it as you would expect a Christian church to carry out. So in seeing this, we're just thinking of the, the various teaching of Scripture that we're given. Perhaps you've already thought of John 13.35 where Christ was teaching, and he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, <clears throat> if you have love, one for another. That's our trademark. How do I know if I'm following Jesus? How do others know if we're following Jesus? They are going to notice, in part, our love, one for another. <clears throat> John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Or Romans 15, or excuse me, Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, which you could kind of call competitive love. You're going to love to that degree and sacrifice? I think I can do better. If you're going to show honor, if you're going to show any sort of competition, outdo one another in showing love. That's the, the, the implication here. So as we read through this section of scriptures and we work through the implications within the church covenant, we should stop and think if any of this sounds exceptional. If any of what we're talking about sounds, well, that's just like above and beyond. That's just really spiritual. What we would hope to do is pause and say, is it? Or is that just the basic bottom shelf, most accessible reality of what it means to be a Christian church? So that's where this covenant begins. It's normative, not exceptional. But let's consider, secondly, 
The sort of care we're talking about is intentional, not accidental. And by this, I'm referring to the next clause, where it says, exercise and affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. Intentional, not accidental. That's the sort of care that we're thinking of. Affectionate care. Let's define some terms here. The sort of care that puts others' needs before my own. The sort of care that's driven along by these, these cords of love and compels me to take notice of you. The sort of care that compels me to turn towards you, to consider you, to make time for you, to make a priority for you. That's affectionate care. And then let's think about watchfulness. Perhaps you even have an image of your mind of what you know, watchfulness would be. The sort of care that's concerned for the well-being of another by, by being alert, first of all. Nobody wants a watchman who's sleeping on the job. Nobody wants a watchman who's distracted by something else. A watchman is alert, aware of their surroundings, taking notice, observant, concerned for the spiritual well-being of their brothers and sisters. Now, here's my hunch. This sort of language, affectionate care, watchfulness, that mindset is familiar to us when we think about our own family. Those of you with younger kids, when you take your kids to the park, there's a sense of watchfulness that you're seeing what's happening. As you're just thinking about your family and your life and how you relate to your spouse or your children or grand grandchildren, there's an affectionate care as you're thinking about how can I serve them this week? What's in front of us this week? What do they need? My hunch is that this language is very intuitive when it comes to our biological family, but it may not be when it comes to our spiritual family. But it shouldn't be that way. Because the ethic of the New Testament and of the Christian church is what may be intuitive to us biologically should also be intuitive to us spiritually. That there is an affectionate care and a watchfulness that we consider to be normative and intentional in the way that we relate to one another. Hebrews 3.12. Listen to these exhortations. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's underneath that exhortation? The assumption that I'm to be intentional about my care for my brothers and sisters as I'm seeking to exhort and observe, in the author's words, lest there be. Lest there be any reality that would lead you to fall away, that this deceitfulness of sin would begin to take root. So there's an intentionality where I'm seeking uh, to take care. Hebrews 10.24, more specifically, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Underneath that, affectionate care and watchfulness. That I'm considering you, I'm turning towards you and saying, how can I stir you up? How can I encourage you? How can I exhort you? That's going to be underneath that, that same teaching. Uh, listen to this, 2 John uh, 6, 8, verses 6 through 8. And this is love, so we're defining love, that we walk according to his commandments. 
This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. See, this is an interesting wrinkle in this whole texture, and that the watching is not just only, you know, conduct, like how are they doing, or I haven't seen them, or look at this. There's also a watching that's related to our belief, that the Apostle John is writing to the church and saying, watch yourselves, lest, like those over there who've picked up this errant doctrine of Christ, that he actually didn't come in the flesh, watch yourselves concerning doctrine as well. And so there is this affectionate care, and there is this watchfulness that is to mark out the people of God. One more scripture, uh, Romans 16. I think it's there on your handout. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We are watchful. And we're recognizing, just like you know, Paul would say to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, that there's the reality of wolves rising up in the midst of the church. And so the church itself is watchful, looking for those who would cause divisions and put these obstacles in the way of the church that are, that are contrary to the very thing that Christ has taught. So what we're saying is there must be an intentionality, not an accidental, like, oh, I just stumbled into taking care of you. Like there is a, 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 an intentional plan and expectation of how I relate to you as I care for you as my brother and sister in Christ. Let's pause for a second and think about how this kind of connects to de- together. Uh, as, as you consider these scriptures, as you consider these reminders, what are some other practical and tangible ways that a church can be watchful over itself with affectionate care? Something that was you know, read here in these scriptures or something that comes to mind that we can practically, tangibly turn towards one another, expressing affectionate care and watchfulness. What is a for instance of how that might look in a Christian church? Yeah, Daniel. Uh, regular discipleship. Okay, and what does regular discipleship mean? Opening up the pages of Scripture and saying what has been given to us. And so our care for one another is not just, hey, how you doing? How's work doing? Important question. But how's your soul doing? So it's normative to have spiritual discussions with one another and consider God's word together. That's great. What else? What are some other ways that we can tangibly do this? Surely. Pray for one another. How does that have anything to do with affectionate care and watchfulness? When we're praying for one another, we may have very specific things like, oh, I just met with Shirley and talked to her, and I know they have this coming up this next week, and so I need to be prayerful for that. But maybe I don't know anything 
about this particular week of those details. That doesn't mean I just, I'm not praying for Shirley this week. There is that reality where I can pray what I know to be true in regards to what Christians need and who Christ is, and just that my own heart and the things that I wrestle with, I'm sure, surely she's a little bit less of a sinner than myself, but she probably still needs to be sanctified. And so I know how to pray for her in that way. There, there's that reality of I express watchful care um, and affectionate care in prayer because Christ is the chief shepherd, and he is the one ultimately who is going to sustain, provide, correct, teach. So prayer is a wonderful example of how we express affectionate care and watchfulness. What are some other tangible ways that a church could do this? So for us, I know, um, just going on faith boys, <laughs> I know it's very, you know, yeah. practical to our church, but you just see the needs that people are asking for prayer and like meals and yeah. So if you didn't hear, she was saying Faith Life, which is just our, our technology platform where we can express those things. So underneath that, how we communicate with one another, that it, we're putting those needs forward, we see what they are, and then we're seeing how we can meet them. So it, in essence, a church is you know, taking time to communicate what, what it needs in that. There was another hand somewhere else. Hey, Carol. Visiting the sick and praying for the sick. There are several members who are unable to be here on a regular basis because of sickness. Maybe I haven't seen them in a few weeks. Maybe they're prohibited from being here. Taking time to reach out to them and doing the same sort of things we've been asking and talking about. One more. Ava, I'll take two. It's great to invite people over to your parents' home. I love it. <laughs> take the initiative. Hospitality, a wonderful way that we can express affectionate care and watchfulness. Doug. Okay, so to your example, like your family and your kids. Yeah. So then you would want to get to know church members, and then you would recognize a pattern. Like if your kid was upset about something, your child would act differently, and you'd be like, hey, there's something wrong. So if you're able to recognize patterns, I mean, you should. You get, you yeah. Get to know yeah. So, like, if you started wearing, like, pink tops to preach in, then you'd be like, all right, hey, yeah. something's going on. How can I help you? Yeah. What do you mean? You're absolutely right. And that's actually, you're stealing almost word for word from, from some of my notes that noticing patterns is, is a, a really helpful way. And that assumes we know one another well enough to see what those patterns are. So to your point, treating each other like a family, I'm gonna notice when something's out of place and I'm gonna move towards that in affectionate care and watchfulness. Wonderful observation. Uh, Patrick. Explain. So give, moving beyond uh, just what's happening here on the gathering, see if I can put some polish on this, and knowing what's happening beyond that. The assumption that if I'm here, everything's fine may not be true. That's a sobering reality. Eventually, yeah. Dave. What's vulnerable mean? Yeah. We can get very 
professionally good at that. So actually being honest when we have those conversations, how you doing? Being willing to admit embarrassing things about ourselves. Um, there's, yeah, Melissa. Ask questions. Wonderfully practical way. And it's kind of a follow-up to, you know, when somebody asks a question, then you're honest with it. Those are wonderfully helpful, practical ways that we're all stem from this idea of affectionate care and watchfulness. Um, and what sort of concerns should we be watching over? Well, we've talked about some of these doctrinal beliefs, attitudes, patterns, behaviors. But let's ask this. What's the difference between being nosy and affectionate care and watchfulness? Because some of you may be hearing this, reading this, saying, where's the back door? Because <laughs> I know some people that will ask questions that I really don't want to answer, and I don't appreciate the way they ask them. There could be different reasons for that. What's the difference between somebody being nosy and somebody expressing watchful care and affection? Ava? Well, having the ability to care for someone and trust them and So kind of like maybe you tried to ask some of those questions, you tried to come alongside, and you're just getting the, yeah. so recognize, okay, maybe I'm not the right person here at this point, but maybe you would continue to pray for them in that sense. It's not like you've, you're done with them. Yeah. Let's put a little sharper point. What's the difference between being nosy and affectionate care? I think that's exactly it. It gets down to motive, and it gets down to the heart. Um, we all know when we're doing it, right? Because it's just the like, hey, how you doing, bro? And you're just looking for the, mm, I thought so. That's, that's kind of what I thought, yeah. Pray for you. We're just looking for the dirt, right? That, that's the difference. It's the heart of the gossip. It, yeah, it's basically the, the, the seeds of, of gossip and division where it's like, I just want to know to know versus I want to know so that I can better care for you. And so nosiness is not what we're after. And a church can have the appearance of doing affectionate care and watchfulness when it's basically just, I just want to know how I'm better than you. <laughs> and nobody wants to be around that. But if I turn towards you, truly using the definition of biblical language of affectionate care and watchfulness, nosiness isn't going to be a part of that. But to be fair, if somebody is new to a church culture, and they ask a lot of questions. They're just nosy. It could be misunderstood as nosiness, but it's up to us as the congregation to say, no, 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 maybe you misunderstood. I, I love you, and as I see what discipleship means and how this works out, I, I want to ask these questions so I can know how to pray for you. I've been through that. I can come alongside you in that. Those are, those are the different kind of motives in that, so that's good. Um, let's just ask a practical one. If you haven't seen a fellow church member at one of our gatherings in several weeks, what would affectionate care and watchfulness look like in that situation? Reach out to them. Reach out to them. What, what would you say? Listen. Ask 
wonderful. And no weird emojis or anything. <laughs> it could be as simple as that. Hey, Miss Senior Face, how you doing? I know the plague's going around. You guys been sick? You guys need anything? Rather than just assuming, you know, right away, well, they've obviously fallen off the wagon, just affectionate care is going to say, hey, I haven't seen you. How you doing? What do you need? Now, what's underneath that is that we recognize if somebody is truly avoiding the gathering, if somebody is staying away, there's probably a reason for that. And usually, historically, according to patterns, it's probably not good or on its way to not being good. And so out of love, even more so, you're someone's, hey, you doing all right? Do you need anything? So that's normative for Christians who are members of the same church to be doing on a regular basis. That is not extraordinary. That is intentional, not accidental. What we're getting at, this is the membership's responsibility under the oversight of the elders. And so while as your elders, that might be happening all the time behind the scenes, it's also happening just amongst one another as we seek to take watchfulness and affectionate care. Let's go to the last couplet. What I'm calling, we're talking about brotherly love and how we care for one another, that this sort of care is corrective, not critical. Here's the clause that I'm referring to. Faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. I think of all the descriptions within this paragraph, this is the clause that's most likely to grate against our deficient or misinformed idea of, of love. Because niceness, remember what we were talking about earlier? Niceness is typically adverse to admonishment, correction, uh, oftentimes even teaching. Because admonishment, correction, and treatment, where you're, you're, you're pleading, that doesn't fit well with just be nice, don't ruffle feathers, don't offend. So I want to be clear on what I'm meaning when I'm saying the distinction between corrective and critical. By critical, what I'm really saying is hypercritical. I'm referring to more the hypercritical spirit, this tendency to, to find fault, uh, to form judgments prematurely, a harsh kind of angularity. Well, you know it's like this because they're like that. That sort of just tone that we all know when we've experienced it or it's come out of our mouths or our heart, that it's this hypercritical spirit, and it's not that. What it is, is corrective. So it's corrective, not critical. So we want to seek out and give correction, but we ought to be avoiding that spirit of just hyper-criticism. What is admonishment? What is correction? I think there's kind of a couple ways we can look at this, and so I've grouped them there on your handout. This call towards admonishment, teaching, correction. When we look at our scriptures, we can say it's certainly a pattern that's set by the apostles, and it's a prescription that's given to the church. So we have both. If we're going to consider well what this would look like, we have to admit how often the apostles lead in this and set a pattern for what the church is to be doing. And then we actually have explicit prescriptions given to us saying, do this. Just consider some of the scriptures. Acts 20, 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish 
everyone with tears. That's Paul standing before the Ephesian elders before he departs, and he's pointing to his own life as an example to these other pastors saying, remember how I behaved among you. You often saw me admonish with tears. Take note by my example. Romans 15, 14. He writes to the church in Rome, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct. This is that same word, admonish. You're able to instruct one another. The pattern of Paul, the expectation is that believers would turn around and do this. 1 Corinthians 4.14 I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul would write to the church of Corinth, and a large part of that letter, if you've read it recently, you'll remember, is correction, is admonishment. You're coming to the Lord's table, and whatever this is, it isn't the Lord's table. Let's talk about what this is. Your understanding of the sexual ethic is completely off base. I need to correct you. I've admonished. Uh, Colossians 1.28. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Again, we're listing all of these, reminding ourselves that the pattern set by the apostolic example is that it's normative to admonish, to correct. But let's move a little bit further. It's not just the pattern. It's actually prescription. Where so much in the New Testament, we are given the imperative to do this. Uh, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. The prescription that's given to us as members of Christ's church is that the word of God would dwell in us richly so that we're then enabled to turn around to one another to teach and to correct, to admonish. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, let's just keep rolling through these. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I love that verse. How much of that describes normative church life? We're going to need to admonish one another from time to time. We're certainly going to need to encourage the faint-hearted. We're going to need to help the weak. And then that last clause, and be patient with all. That's the tone of our admonishment. Not the harsh, like, you've done this three times. I've warned you twice. Be patient. There is an admonishment. And there is a patience. Uh, Luke 17.3, pretty explicit. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. <laughs> There's no way around that one. Probably the one that we're most familiar with, Matthew 18. When it gives to us the instruction of a brother sins against us. I want to read through this, but then I want to note something that maybe is overlooked in this that keys us into why this is so central for the life of a church. Just listen to the teaching of Christ. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. 
And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. A couple of things we have to take from this. This is Christ's explicit teaching on how we relate to one another when there's a breach of fellowship because of sin. We are intentional, we correct, and we're doing this out of love. Because he says, you've won your brother. You've gained him. Wonderful. The thing that was between you is removed, and now that's been restored. But grievously, sometimes that doesn't happen, that doesn't work, so you take another and you plead, you entreat, you admonish, you exhort, you rebuke. And if he doesn't listen there, then you tell it to the church. Now, there's a number of implications we can pull down from that, but the one that should be rising up before us is that the church, the congregation, that's what that means, right? The congregation has the authority and the responsibility to care for one another. And sometimes the way that we care for one another is by calling that brother or sister to this reality of saying, we have pled, we've entreated, we've admonished, we've taught, we've been so patient, but it is clear we cannot affirm your profession of faith and therefore according to Christ's teaching that he must be put out. He's not one, he's not a brother. We can't say brother. We're putting him in this other classification of Gentile one who does not know God. Oftentimes that gets misread, and in a sense it's like, I'm going to go tell the principal, and then the elders will deal with it. But that's not what Christ teaches. He says the ultimate authority on earth in regards to the governance of the church is the church. That should elevate for us the responsibility that we have towards one another that it's our responsibility as members to know how one another are doing, to be able to care for one another. Because at the end of the day, it's not my job and the rest of the elders alone to just by divine fiat say, this is what's happened. It's our job as the overseers appointed by Christ to make recommendations to the membership and saying, this is what we've seen, this is what has happened, and this is what we must do according to the teaching of Scripture. What all of this is getting at is that the way that we care for one another is we take seriously our care for one another. That's what's underneath all of this. As members of Veritas Church, each member has the responsibility to lovingly keep watch over one another and, if necessary, to take the initiative to speak up, to warn, to admonish, to encourage, to bear with, and to exhort. So how can we show this kind of love? Just a couple of practical suggestions. Number one, it's kind of obvious, kind of already been said, pay attention to what's happening in other people's lives. It's very easy to walk into the gathering, go throughout your week, and really not give much consideration to other people. That should be a concern to you and an encouragement to pivot. Pay attention to what's happening in others' lives. Do you know fellow members who once seemed to be active in the church, but now just kind of seem to be drawn back? Maybe something's happened. Maybe they have an illness going on that you don't know about. Maybe they've had a job change. Whatever the reason is, find out, hey, I haven't seen you around as much. What's going on? Do you need anything? Like that affectionate care is going to move you towards that person. 
Give them a call. See what's going on. Pray for them specifically. As was mentioned earlier, be willing to talk about general patterns in a brother or sister's life that might reduce their usefulness to the kingdom of God. Patterns such as taking a job that would cause particular stress on the family and remove them from the sphere of of fellowship, that you would see that. Or going on a trip that, because of you know this brother and how you walk through them, going on a particular trip that would expose him to particular temptation that you want to be mindful of and say, hey, are you going to be okay? Do you need anything? How can I help you? Failing to take an advantage of some opportunity to grow spiritually. That you're just moving towards a brother or sister in that. So a genuine love and a genuine concern for others will, in a good way, probe, not nosy, not judgmental, but in a good way, seek to be intentional in these instances or patterns. So, in short, every conversation that we have with one another should be seen as an opportunity to encourage, to, in, to edify another member of the church, for building one another up. First Thessalonians 5.14 is kind of a good summary on all this. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with all. So the question we ask is, are we bearing one another's burdens? Are we looking out for each other? Are we challenging one another? Are we entreating one another towards a holy walk? This emphasis is contrary to much church thinking. Let's state the obvious. Especially in a culture where we love individualism and would prefer isolation. Those two values don't fit well within a biblical church. And so what we're saying is we want our lives to be ordered according to the teaching of Scripture. We want to care for one another as the Scripture would lay out this intentional love, this affectionate care and watchfulness is going to be seen in this way. Let me ask this. How does this promise of we will care for one another in brotherly love How does this part of the covenant relate to what we considered last week regarding the unity of the church? How do you connect the dots between watchfulness and care and unity? What are some thoughts? Okay. It draws them in instead of just neglecting them. So you're saying this watchfulness can be one way to promote unity. Okay, what else? Paul. Yeah, all the seeds that potentially create division, strife, they're going to be notified and noticed if we are seeking to be affectionately caring, watchfully, sort of to put it your way, neglecting these things can actually erode unity. Uh, Daniel, and then Ava. Uh, maybe it's a way to have the proper unity. So rather than being unified, we're unified on the basis of our interests as a group. Yeah. We're unified on the basis of understanding one another and caring for one another at a deeper level. Yeah. Because at, if we have a dysfunctional definition of unity, this watchful care, this affection, that can be like, whoa, that's not a very unified church. They said something to me that I didn't like. I want to go somewhere that's just nicer. 
And so we can have, if we misunderstand affectionate care, we can misunderstand unity. It could be possible to have a church that's united around something, but not the gospel. But if we truly say the gospel is what unites us, then by implication, I'm going to care for you, and you're going to care for me in such a way that's going to be intentional and speak up. Uh, one more. What's a connection between unity and this watchful care? Oh, sorry, Ava. Wonderful. So we're actually reflecting who we are, united to Christ, and a failure to do that exposes maybe we don't understand or we're pre presenting a false reality of, of who we are. So union with Christ, wonderful. Let me ask this. What happens if a church emphasizes watchfulness but neglects affectionate care? We've kind of been dancing around this, but put a point on it. Torches and pitchforks unite. Yeah. 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 Uh, Rusty, do you have your hand up? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah, Hebrews 10. I didn't do my job. Look where that word is used in, in action in various places in the Bible. It's uh, very instructive, very intensive. That's good. So I'm not importing my own definition of watchfulness yeah. into what I'm doing. I'm being biblically faithful in that. So one more. What, what happens? Yeah, Greg. So I think the best summary is Paul admonished them with tears. Oh, ah, yeah. Right? So he wasn't just admonishing them. He was supposed to be critical. He was, he was brokenhearted over their sin and what it was doing to them. And so if I can admonish you or you admonish me and not be moved with some sort of godly affection, then maybe I need to pause. Because that, that's, that's really what's underneath all of that. Yeah. Yeah, think of Christ teaching on the, 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 the plank and the log, right? Like, Paul talks about giving what you've been given. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially what we're all saying here is we approach one another as we are our identity in Christ. That if I recognize I'm in union with Christ, that means I have the responsibility and the authority under God's word to come and speak to you. But I have the humility along with that because I'm in union with Christ. It, it's Christ's work that he has done in cleansing me, a sinner, and therefore I, I have that boldness and humility that I'm going to need. But if, if, if I forget union with Christ, it, any other sort of motive can, can enter in there. So affectionate care, the way that we're watching over one another. We will seek, or excuse me, we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church Exercise and affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully and admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. Let me pray and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for...
the clarity and the goodness of your word and the helpfulness of seeking to summarize so much of what is given to us. Lord, what a wonderful privilege we've been given to be called your sons and daughters. We pray that you would continue to help us, that we would more clearly and more consistently understand what it means to care for one another in brotherly love, we ask. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Don't forget, if you've got kids in uh, Sunday school, go ahead and grab